0: we're in a little um, little series on envy, rivalry, and its connection to violence. So, um, you know, we are, maybe have you, you've noticed, I've noticed, uh, a little more nervousness these days in, in society and culture, you know, beyond the, you know, there's always the fear of public enemy number one. When I was growing up, it was the USSR and the Cold War, uh, for, you know, uh, this generation is the, you know, global war on terror. But Beneath that, there's, I think, a growing concern, like, is the social fabric uh, that keeps violence at bay in society actually in the process of just further degrading, further fraying, and, like, how long can this go on without things getting really kind of kind of dicey? And so that's, that's really the question I think we're confronted with. We've got, like, everyday meanness on social media, the coarseness of our political discourse, uh, you know, like physical skirmishes at political rallies, uh, spasms of gun violence in in, you know, the most developed nation on earth. It's kind of like, what's going on here? So it seems like a good time to consider together what the Bible says about the roots of violence um, and ultimately the path beyond it. And I wanted to mention, there's a couple people in church, it just popped into my brain, who are running for office. Uh, uh, Satish is running for Superior Township Board of Supervisors, or something like that. And Steve Gray is running for Ipsy School Board, so uh, I think that's cool. I mean, we else wants to run for uh, I think Sharonda and Carla should run for something. I think they'd be good, like, running the thing. <laughs> I think Dan People would be good running something, so we've probably got a lot of people, but we could take over. <laughs> anyway, it's kind of fun to see people uh, doing that, serving the... Quite a community in that way. It's not an easy time to be like a public official, so uh, they're, they're getting into the fray. Good for them. Um, so, back to our topic here. Um, last week, we were looking um, at Genesis chapter 3 and this idea that everything begins with imitative and rivalrous desire. So, you know, toddler A is in a room with a neglected uh, toy in the corner that has no interest or desire for toddler B enters the room runs straight to the toy suddenly toddler B wants the same toy you know wants it badly toddler A is imitating the desire of toddler B for the toy that's rivalrous desire and it's it's the uh, it's the uh, beginning of violence in the biblical story so in Genesis 3 we've got that talking snake, representing imitative rivalrous desire, insinuating itself into our connections. Uh, In this case, the connection between the humans and God, and now the humans want what they didn't want before. They want to be like God, knowing uh, good and evil, and so they go for that forbidden fruit. Imitative desire in Genesis 3 leads to rivalry between brothers in Genesis 4, and then, uh, spiraling violence is unleashed in the book of Genesis. So let's take a look at the Tale of Two Brothers in Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read um, most of the chapter. If you could try to picture the, uh, picture the thing, it's a pretty simple story. Uh, but put it into your imagination as I, as I read, if you will, uh, ignoring some of the hard to pronounce words or names mainly. And uh, this is in the favorite, you know, uh, Robert Alter translation. And the human knew Eve that his woman, and the human knew Eve, new means, you know, like Oceana says, did the kebang bang. Uh, <laughs> the human knew Eve, his woman, and she conceived and bore Cain, and she said, I have got me a man with the Lord. With the help of the Lord, I have got me a man. I like that. And she bore as well his brother Abel, And Abel became a herder of sheep, while Cain was a tiller of the soil. And it happened in the course of time that Cain brought from the fruit of the soil an offering to the Lord. And Abel, too, had brought from the choice firstlings of his flock. And the Lord regarded Abel and his offering, but he did not regard Cain and his offering. And Cain was very incensed, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you incensed? And why is your face fallen? For whether you offer well or not, or whether you do not, at the tent flap, sin crouches, and for you is its longing, but you will rule over it. Mysterious thing to say, but he's got it. And Cain said to Abel his brother, let's go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the soil. And so, cursed shall you be by the soil that gape with its mouth to take your brother's blood from your hand. Hebraic thought is very concrete in its images, isn't it? If you till the soil, you will no longer <laughs> give, it will no longer give you its strength. A restless wanderer shall you be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Now that you've driven me this day from the soil and I must hide from your presence, I shall be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds it will kill me. And the Lord said, therefore, whoever kills Cain shall suffer sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, so that whoever found him would not slay him. Notice that God doesn't say where the vengeance is going to come from, not necessarily him, but he's just saying this is the way it works. And Cain went out from the Lord's presence. Uh, This is the part that often doesn't get read, but the connections are important here. Cain went out from the Lord's presence and dwelled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, we all know what that means, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Then he became the builder of a city and called the name of that city, like his son's name, Enoch. So this is the beginning of society, of, of culture, organized uh, human communities. And Arad was born to Enoch. And Arad be- uh, begot Behujael. And Mehujael begot Methusel-, Th- Methusel, And Methusel begot Lamech. And Lamech took him two wives. And the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah and Ada bore Jabal. He was the first of tent dwellers with livestock. This is the beginning of the proliferation of human society and culture in the Bible. And his brother's name was Jabal. He was the first of all who play on the wire and pipe. As for Zillah, she bore Tubal-Cain, who forged every piece of copper and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. and Lamech. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Oh, hearken to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give ear to my speech. For a man have I slain for my wound, a boy for my bruising. For sevenfold Cain is avenged, and Lamech seventy and seven. So, things are getting worse in human land here. Um, We know that the Bible includes a lot of... um, what we call straight history, especially further into the narrative. But early Genesis in particular, the early chapters of Genesis are filled with uh, mythic narratives. Chapter six has a bizarre narrative about the Nephilim and the, the, the like, angels having sex with the women and, and all kinds of weird things. They say, what, where did this come from? We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but these mythic narratives in early Genesis are in form and function like the archaic myths uh, of the surrounding uh, peoples uh, that the, often these are founding stories of founding different civilizations and cultures or cities or people groups like there's a story of the founding a myth about the founding of rome and in this myth, there's a twin brothers, similar to the Cain. It's brothers starting things off, Romulus and Remus. So, Romulus near the airport, named after Romulus. Romulus and Remus are these twin brothers, and they become rivals in this little village that later became Rome. Romulus kills Remus. It's for good reason, according to the myth. Uh, Remus has transgressed in some way. He deserves it. And that's why the Pope lives in a city called Rome, not Rhine, uh, because Romulus won the the rivalry there. So when the Bible includes um, mythic writing, it's often a twist on a prevailing pagan myth. So the Bible myths are like myth-busting myths often. Um, So the Cain and Abel story is telling us that rivalrous desire is behind all the violence in the world. Where does it come from? It comes from rivalrous desire. So first we'll consider the effects of rivalrous desire, cascading violence, and then we can look at the cause and the cure of what what starts it all, rivalrous desire. So the cascading violence that we see in Genesis in a short period of time, having murdered his brother, Cain fears retribution, right? as well he ought. In the ancient world, there was no system of justice besides an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth that was vendetta time. Uh, Don't kill me or my people will kill your people was the motto and was the fear. That's the way it worked in the ancient world before societies had developed. Cain cries out to God. And what does God do? He puts a mark on Cain's forehead. This serves as a warning. To anyone who might try to avenge uh, Abel's death by killing Cain, uh, that the violence is only gonna spiral upward. Don't go there is the, the meaning of the mark. God himself doesn't threaten to do the uh, sevenfold avenging. It's, it's a warning about escalating violence meant to give the avenger uh, pause. So violence is like a contagion. It's like the plague and it spirals upward Um, and and we know this i mean the human arms race right we started with uh, sticks and stones and name calling and graduated to bow and arrows and graduated to spears and graduated to guns and then cannons and nuclear warheads and like now we will actually we we can just we can decimate Anything we want to. It never goes down. It always spirals upward. Uh, notice in the story, this guy, guy aptly named Lamech, because he's lame and he's icky. <laughs> uh, so he is Cain's great, 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 great grandson. He's seven generations removed from Cain. And he makes this boast as lame ick. If killing Cain unleashed a sevenfold vent revenge, so the seven would die because, you know, if you killed Cain, just injuring, just wounding me will fill the morgues with 70 plus seven. So, you know, during the primaries, we had a, one of the Republican candidates threaten the other Republican candidates in the same way, basically. If you come after me, I'll come after you, don't. That's just cane talk. That's just lame-ick talk. Okay. By the way, notice how lame-ick treats women. He takes two wives. It's like, like they're just fruit off a tree. He just take, takes two wives. And then he makes his boast to his wives. This is significant. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of mine. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man just for striking me. If Cain was avenged sevenfold, truly layman, 70 plus seven. That's just classic intimidation, right? He's threatening his wives. Don't you dare cross me because of a dangerous violent dude. So, by chapter 6, we have these mythic creatures called sons of God or Nephilim, something like supernatural beings, um, or warriors of old, taking whatever women they want to breed with them. Like, machismo is bad for women. Uh, If you've ever tried to read through the Bible, you usually stumble (laughs) at chapter 6 of Genesis because it goes like totally bizarre for just half a chapter. But the meaning of it is. This stuff is bad, and it's especially bad for vulnerable people in that society is bad for women. I mean, even today, right, in our egalitarian society, um, the vast majority of violent crimes are committed against women, uh, including right here in our upscale, progressive, liberal, enlightened University of Michigan, where one in in four women are subject to uh, 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 sexual assault it's like, like, how advanced are we again? How far are we from this kind of world that we're seeing in Genesis, early chapters of Genesis? How, do, how does this flood of violence get triggered, rivalrous desire? So let's look, at the, let's look at the cause now, and then we can think about the cure. So back to our story, those two brothers. Cain sees Abel offering a sacrifice and Abel like, wants to seek God's favor through this sacrifice. Cain offers what he has, which is a grain offering. He's a farmer. He doesn't have uh, flocks to offer. So he's, he's imitating Abel. Um, he's wanting what Abel wants. Uh, for reasons that are not explained. Because they're really not important. And if we had the reasons, they would like totally distract us from the story. We want the reasons. Why did... God accepts one offering and not the other. But no explanation. Maybe it's just that Cain thinks Abel's sacrifice works better than his. We don't know. But this makes him angry and downcast. Makes him pissy and depressed. And I get it. You know, I get it. You know, among pastors, you know, dirty little secret. If the church down the way is growing like gangbusters and yours is not, uh, news of the other person's success can register on your funk meter pretty, pretty easily. <laughs> it's, it's, it's essentially Cain and Abel, right? It's competitive worship, like whose worship is better, whose is more successful, whose is God blessing. Um, imitative, rivalrous desire is where it all begins. You know, uh, your, your company posts a new position. You overhear your colleague telling your friend on the phone, I'd love to have that. I'd love to have that new job. And magically, you want it too. Even though you're like happy with your job, now you want that job because she wants that job. So secretly, you also apply, and she gets it. And you're like, oh right, new corporate policy on gender equality, you know, you know. Poor white men, you know, hurt again. As as (laughs) though I love that gesture. Deborah Dean Ware, you know, oh my, (laughs) she got a much better laugh than I did. She (laughs) didn't. So so then you start sending little unconsciously. All this is unconscious. We, you know, we don't want to admit this about ourselves, so we, we stuff it down. We don't see ourselves doing it, but you start sending out little microaggressions her way. In the workplace, you're not even aware of it. She starts unconsciously imitating your aggressions, and staff meetings get a little, little tense. And more people are entering the prickly fray. Imitative rivalrous desire is nothing to mess with. Now, the, the myth of Rome's founding celebrates right the triumph of Romulus over Remus. He des- Remus deserved to be killed, and that in that myth. But in the Bible's myth-busting founding myth of founding of cultures and cities and society, Cain's triumph over evil is not celebrated. Rivalrous desire is bad news. It's actually the thing that unleashes the cycle of violence around us. Um, IBR, it bears repeating. I'm, I'm just kind of up on all the little text things like that and so. stuff. IBR. I saw some of you didn't quite get it. It bears repeating. It bears repeating. IBR. <laughs> Whereas the ancient myths assume the guilt of the victims. So Remus was guilty. Oedipus, an Oedipus myth, was guilty and he was killed and that was the founding of another little culture. The Bible, in stark contrast, declares the innocence of the victims. Jesus is the ultimate innocent victim. And then he represents all scapegoated victims for all time. So if you get the meaning of Jesus, which is different than waving the Jesus flag, you see through uh, attempts to scapegoat people. So today it's you know Muslims being scapegoated here in the US, LGBT, the, the T of LGBT, Right now, especially uh, black people trying to steal my white privilege, you know. uh, Or or like uh, on the other side, you know, political conservatives that we should keep out of our elite university faculty, you know, because they're politically conservative. We don't want any of them in our faculty. Um, But I digress. That's just a, it bears repeating the scapegoat thing. Genesis seems to be all about imitative rivalrous desire between like pairs Um, it's a series the whole book is a series of rivalries with bad mojo between Cain and Abel and Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael and Esau and Jacob and Joseph (coughs) and his brothers that's that's the structure of Genesis and it always leads to violence this rivalrous in-house uh, rivalrous desire if we want to understand the roots of violence we have to go to those stories of in-house rivalries so it's absolutely no surprise that jesus comes to a people and they are awash in rivalries right um, just like any people any nation at any time the people jesus comes to they're awash in rivalries you've got the rivalry between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You've got the rivalry between the zealots and the, and the priest class. You've got the rivalry between the Gentile Romans and the, and the Jews. You've got that scene in the Gospels where two brothers uh, are fighting over their inheritance and they try to get a ruling from Jesus. You know, who's right, who's wrong, who should gets what, get what, gets what from, from daddy. And he says, you're just barking up the wrong tree. I'm not here to like enter into your, your stupid rivalries. Um, two disciples are arguing over who gets to be his chief of staff, remember that? When, and you know, when he wins the election and, and Jesus says, dudes, check the latest polls. I am not winning this election. My right-hand man will have holes in his hands. That's the way this thing is going down. I mean, you're like, "Uh uh-uh. The new way of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the emphasis in, in what he's promoting, what he's all about. If you want to follow him, this is what it means to follow him. It's all about nipping rivalrous desire in the bud. All the wisdom of Jesus could be like a, just a, just a tutorial in nipping rivalrous desire in the bud. Remember God asked Cain uh, after the, the murder, where's your brother? Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? I mean the, the attitude, you <laughs> know, the attitude, oh my Lord, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Says Jesus. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Um, God's not interested in our sacrifices, the prophet said. Whether it's sheep from your flocks or zucchini from your fields, God wants what? He wants haset, which is, which is love and mercy. From my brother Brian Wilson. I was sitting in a crummy movie with my hands on my chin. All the violence that occurs Seems like we never win He had like, like toning things that he get his voice right <laughs> Love and mercy, that's what you need tonight So love and mercy to you and your friends tonight That's my brother, Brian Wilson He's just summarizing the teaching of Jesus is all about rivalry in-house rivalry the solution to rivalry is love and mercy practice with the relationship with the rival so what is Jesus his love message is love your brother and it's also love your enemy that's the way of Jesus our brother someone close our brother coming becoming an enemy is a rival, right? I mean, like the fiercest rivalries are always with people who are closest to us. So love your brother plus love your enemy equals love your rival. The way of Jesus is loving the rival, not beating or besting the rival. So love your enemies, do good to those that persecute you, love your rivals, Do good to your rivals, stop judging, critiquing, finding the worst in your rivals. That friend is becoming an enemy, that person is close, you know, the tensions are mounting. Don't pickle your anger in the brine of contempt, uh, in name calling. If you're angry with your rival, go to him. Try to work it out. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. Remember that exchange between Jesus and his disciples who are offended by his teaching on forgiveness. They think, man, your head is in the clouds. You are not living where I live. And they they ask him this kind of snarky question. How many times do I need to forgive my brother? My Abel brothers, kind of the, you know, how many times do I need to forgive my brothers? Seven times? Like, is it that much? You know, Jesus says, are you kidding me? Tried 70 times seven. 70 times seven. It's echoes of Cain and Abel, right? God marks Cain to protect him from a sevenfold vengeance. One killing leads to seven. Cain's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, that's seven generations, Lamech, threatens a 70 times 7 vengeance, 70 times 7, not 70 plus 7, 70 times 7, no, it's I'm sorry, I got it wrong, I got the math wrong, I always get the math wrong, Lamech threatens 7 plus 7, right? Seven, 7 plus 7. 70 seven plus, seven. seven. seven plus 7. Oh my gosh. Why don't I just read the stupid notes? The <laughs> threat is a <laughs> 70 plus 7 vengeance. Jesus requires a forgiveness that is 70 times 7. You see, escalating violence can only be defeating, defeated by what? Escalating mercy. Like, the, the mercy just has to escalate beyond the escalating violence. That's the only way we're going to put an end to a violent world. That, that, the love that wins, there's a lot, you know, the love wins, and love win, the love that wins is very, very costly, and we have to start, like, paying the price in our, like, in-house rivalry. So for our time of quiet reflection... Um, I'm gonna take a couple of minutes here before communion to just uh, soak in some of this. What I, I want to suggest a little exercise. And rather than have you like try to focus directly on someone you're in rivalry with, um, let's try a little more indirect approach. Um, think about, go back to the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, let's go back to that moment when Cain and Abel, they're just brothers, they're just brothers. Um, there's been no violence, there's no killing on earth yet. They're just brothers, being brothers. Um, not much is told in the story about this, but use your imagination, kind of fill in uh, the story just from your own experience. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're young men at this time. Abel is a breeder, the keeper of flocks. Cain is a farmer. Um, as young men do, they're concerned about mastery, right? That's their developmental task: master something, get good at something, become successful at some something, distinguish yourself within the family by your success. All that stuff that we've all gone through as young people. And then just picture their their budding rivalry in that moment, and fill in the details with imagination of like what might have been going on and then just imagine that one of them like gets a, a nudge from Jesus in the middle of this that kind of rewrites the story so it has a much happier ending than that. Is it, you get that? It's kind of like a exercise in imagination. Go ahead and work with that for a couple of minutes or spend the time however you like. That's fine. That's just my suggestion. I'll give you two minutes and then we'll, uh, then we'll close. Okay, very good. My reflection time over.